If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. Oh, man, it's just you and I, Doug. It's just the two of us. It's just the two of I can't do I can't do Justin's <laughs> singing whatsoever. This is actually cool that uh, it just worked out this way. Boys are uh, off and playing, and I'm going to intro this episode, and I think it uh, works out just fine because Paul favorites, right? He favorites, is, yeah. correct. He is um, PJ uh, PJF Performance, and you can find him on Instagram there. He also has a YouTube under the same name. And I had been following him since he had about 500 to 1,000 followers on Instagram. He came up in my Explorer page because I like a lot of basketball stuff and follow SportsCenter and ESPN pages. And his his page was recommended to me, and I loved, I'll dive through pages like this and just kind of briefly look over and see the type of stuff they're putting out. And this guy was putting out some really legit science related to sports performance and especially uh, specifically to basketball, which I just absolutely love. And it, it's rare to come by this. This is a type of information that I used to seek out all the time, especially as a young kid that was trying to increase his vertical. And the deeper I dug in his stuff, the more really solid information I found. And so I had reached out to him way back when. This was when we were really small, Doug, when we were in your your living room and, you know, probably too small at that time to gain, get any of his attention. And then I kind of like left it alone for a while. And not that long ago, I reached out again and just kind of sent him over our media kit to let him know like, hey, you know, we have a pretty large platform. I really like what you're doing. I'd love to have you down. And then he responded right away and we flew him out here uh, to come hang out for the day and just had... An incredible time. We had Danny in the studio also, and so we recorded some great YouTube with him. But uh, we dive. Real, this is a this is a sports man. This was a really this is cool. It was different. Probably uh, we don't. I don't think we have an interview like this. It was all around basketball talk and sports performance. But we get into uh, some some deep talk around that, and that was just really really good. I think you guys will enjoy this episode. But uh, we also mentioned Felix Gray. You guys know that we're sponsored by Felix Gray, so you guys could look them up. It'll be in the show notes. There'll be a link there. Also, don't forget, all month long, we have the 50% off for our Maps Anywhere. Just go to mapswhite.com and use the code WHITE50, all capital letters. And uh, without any further ado, here's Paul Favorites. I wanted to start off by telling the audience how I found Paul. So Tinder. Yeah, Tinder. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally my type. Uh, it's got the yeah. shoe thing going on. That's, that's what it was. That's right. Soft, it was a match. I got a soft stripes. spot for that for yep. sure. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's jump together. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, uh, I I found him on Instagram. Of course, he's into basketball, and so he popped up on my Explore page. And just the trainer in me and what we do, we're always looking for high level coaches and. Uh, professionals that are out there. And I just, at that time, I had not seen anybody else on Instagram yet that was putting out any content for athletes that was really science-based. How long ago was it? This was, um, I don't know, when would you say you had about two or 3,000 followers? Probably five, six years ago. Yeah, it was yeah. Early. It was right yeah. when I when I first started building my uh, Instagram. Yeah, and then you passed it on to me and we both, yeah, we were, we were watching your progress with it. It was pretty yeah, cool to see. That's, yeah, That's awesome. That's yeah, no, it's been great to watch you, watch you grow. So, 
do, tell me first of all, because I, I talked to Danny and he actually said you started on YouTube before that. Is that true? Yeah. So tell yeah. me a little bit about your your journey into this space and what led you to, you know, specializing in vertical jump and, and basketball players. Like, Yeah. So I was a basketball player and being 5'11", I was always, of course, searching for ways to run faster and jump higher. I had all the skills in the world because I had a basketball in my hand at age two. And so I could dribble, I could shoot, I could pass, I could not jump, I could not run. And so uh, there was a lot of college coaches interested in recruiting me in high school, but they all said the same thing, like you just don't have the athleticism to play at the division one level. And so right then and there, I got super obsessed with like, I'm, that's not going to be my limitation. If I don't make it division one, it's not going to be, uh, be because of strength or vertical or anything physical. And so I really started to study this stuff and had a lot of injuries and ended up going to community college. And that's where I started to really transform my thinking and really diving into the science. I found some really good stuff from like the 1950s in Russia, um, oh, really? Rokoshansky, some, some Mel Sif and yes, uh, those yes, guys. Exactly. Yeah. And so I kind of dove into those books, books like super training yes. and really started so to understand. Bible. Yes. That's like the strength and conditioning Bible. Yep. So I was fortunate to stumble upon some good resources and I started applying this knowledge to myself and to my own game and my own training. And my vertical went up 12 inches in a year. Holy shit. And so the same coaches, inches? the same coaches that were telling me, you just don't have the, the athleticism were now seeing me throw down full windmill dunks. And so, yeah. And How so, good did that feel? It was incredible. It wasn't that and you just so, bought better shoes or something like that? No, <laughs> no, no. Um, so I went from barely touching the rim to throwing down full windmill dunks. And these same division one coaches said, that's the biggest transformation we've ever seen. Like yeah. we did not think it was possible for somebody to increase their athleticism like that. And so I ended up going to Northern Arizona, back to my hometown of Flagstaff and walking on there. Um, ended up getting some injuries there and I didn't go back for my senior year because I was like, look, I did this to myself. What could I do for other athletes? Mm -hmm. So it was either, you know, push through, come back for my senior year, maybe get playing time, maybe go overseas and try to find a, a pro job over there or take what I've built and just you know, spread it. And, and it started to uh, spread across Northern Arizona. I just trained uh, little kids and I did it for free just because I love doing it. And they were getting good results and it spread all across Arizona. Uh, so I moved to Phoenix and opened up a gym um, around Arizona State, just a tiny little garage gym. Didn't even look like you should be working out in it. <laughs> and um, that's actually probably where you guys found me on Instagram. I was doing vertical jump videos, mm -hmm. ball handling videos. Yep. And um, NBA players started to find me through Instagram. No shit. So that's how that happened. That's how everything happened. Nobody knew me. I didn't have any connections. Um, NBA players started finding me on Instagram and they would fly out to Arizona and train with me. So they would just contact you from Instagram? They hey, straight DM me. They now would you slide in the DM. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> now were you tripping? Yeah. Were you looking at this like, this can't, yes. this can't be real? Yes. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Who was, now, who you're was, trolling me. Yeah. Who was yeah. the first NBA player that reached out to you? Uh, Malcolm Lee. He um, went to UCLA, very good player at UCLA. And um, he had just had a hip and a knee surgery. And so he was trying to rehab and come back. He couldn't get his explosive, uh, his explosiveness back. And he came to train with me in Phoenix and we got him healthy and he gained seven inches on his vertical. Damn, dude. At that so, level, that's insane. Yeah. You, you mind if I pause you for a second? Because you, you mentioned the books that you read that you got from Soviet era Russia and some of this other stuff that increased your vertical 12 inches. 
Would you mind touching a little bit on like what was it that you read in those books that was so different from yeah. what you had already understood mm-hmm. from training? What was so different yeah. about their their approach? Well, so I had grown up where you think, you know, powerlifting is everything. You get stronger, mm-hmm. you apply more force. And, you know, I never really understood the concept of plyometrics, rate of force development, produce force faster, right? A vertical jump, the, the force production aspect is like 0.2 seconds. And so if your squat strength, you know, if your squat lasts four seconds, that amount of that force isn't going to translate to mm-hmm. 0.2 seconds. Right. And so it's, it's figuring out how to get better rate of force development. And a lot of what opened my eyes from those books, like super training is really how to train ply, uh, plyometrics and just progress it the right way. It's not like some secret exercise that I stumbled upon. He, Verkoshansky, just puts into words how to progress everything at the right rate. Uh, because I had done millions of programs, Air Alert, all these different programs, these plyometric programs, and I never really understood true like periodization and how to how mm. to um, how to progress the program at the right rate. And so it was kind of just learning the basics of plyometrics and applying it to what I already knew with my uh, with my lifting and I was doing Olympic lifting. Mm. And then I kind of went outside and I got into yoga. Uh, I got it. I took some principles from Pilates. I started doing pool workouts. And so I kind of had like the perfect storm of all of these different methods that kind of hit at the right time. Mm. And then I stayed consistent for a year and that's when it really took off. Wow. So it went from, I used to be like the sum guy. Like when I was like 15, I was like, I'm the Olympic weightlifting guy. And I actually qualified for Olympic weightlifting junior meets because I got so good at that oh, interesting. because I thought that that was what was going to get my vertical to the next level. Mm-hmm. And it, it probably did produce some decent results. And then in, later on in high school, I was the powerlifting guy. I wanted to lift as much as I could. And then once I realized it's not about being the lifting guy or the weightlifting guy, it's about being the results guy. Mm-hmm. And, and whatever whatever principles you have to take uh, to get results, you do it. Mm. And so it, it was really just um, it's putting everything together the right way that allowed my vertical to transform. Well, now I've seen I mean, you're I've seen like a lot of videos where you're starting to mess with like sports science equipment and, you know, really being able to put metrics to a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. with force plates and. Um, now, as you're going through that process of testing yourself, were you already doing that personally or is that something that so, you worked with later? I made my transformation without that stuff, mm-hmm. without the advanced technology. I was working, when I transformed, I was just doing that in an LA fitness gym. So I didn't really have advanced equipment. Um, I started to get into that because once I started training NBA players, I realized it's a lot tougher because they're already at a really high level. They're already up there. Yeah, so how do you lot, improve that? Law of diminishing returns, the closer they get get to that genetic peak, uh, the harder it is for us to get results. And so I started studying on my own time, force plates, motion tracking, EMG, um, just so that I, I knew when these NBA players are coming in, we can test them at a level that's so detailed that we could figure out exactly what it is that we have to work on. So some, some people, they might come in, we get them on the force plates. We find out they're not producing force early on in the jump, or maybe they're not producing force late in the jump, or maybe they're peak force is high, but they don't hold force for a long period Mm. of time. And there's all these different variables that could be the limiting factor. And when you really dial in and tune in on that and then attack that, you can get results a lot faster. So I was was going to say, so when you, when you identify when they're, you know, applying the force and when they're not applying the force, that dictates 
how you coach and train them yeah because it's much more specific is what you're saying exactly so it's almost like uh i mean this is almost like technique and skill mm-hmm. yeah. okay okay yeah. and, and two like so when you notice those discrepancies where they're not producing force in a certain part of the the movement do you then like focus in on that and, and create uh, and generate more force with isometrics like what are some of the techniques you use to kind of address that yeah so i mean it depends like we i got good with using like motion tracking systems where we could show the joint velocities and so we could say your hip velocity is this your knee velocity is this your ankle velocity so, is this and then i can compare it to the database and i can say well your ankle velocity is a lot lower than the average nba point guard mm. so we know we got to do some work at the ankles mm. oh, wow. now that could be improve, improving power a lot of times that's improving mechanics. So mm. then you say, okay, you're not producing that velocity at the ankle. Well, maybe mechanically you're not doing something right. And like uh, last week I posted a video of how cats jump and how they're very patient with the ankles and they start to ascend, but the, the heels stay down. Mm. And at the very last moment, the heels come up. So then you're using the ankle as a whip. So uh, not as a force producer, mm-hmm. you're using it to amplify the force from higher up in the chain. Oh, mm-hmm. I see. Right? And so sometimes you could say, well your ankles aren't producing high enough velocity because your heels are coming up too early. Mm -hmm. So now it's, well, let's get better ankle mobility. Let's work on your technique. And now you're going to use the ankles the way they're supposed to be used. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden they go back and now they produce higher velocity. Now their vertical could be up five, uh, five inches. How common is like just address, like, do you look at the feet more than anything? Like when you first get somebody? Yeah. I mean, starting from the ground up, from the feet. I mean, that's where a lot of the issues are, especially we wear these stiff soled shoes. We've lost the ability to really use our feet. How well, especially basketball, right? Especially basketball. Yeah. Um, so that, that's a huge component, but like I said, with, with these assessments, what I got really good at is just using technology to determine what the limiting factor is when most people, 99% of athletes are guessing and checking. They're just mm-hmm. throwing random exercise and just hoping it sticks. Mm-hmm. And what I found is luckily enough, I guessed enough times to where I could transform my vertical. But if I want to take that and I want to apply it to the masses and I want to apply it to these NBA players who have that law of diminishing return, uh, we have to really tune in. And so that's why I did a lot of self-study and you can't go get a degree for this stuff. They're not going to teach this yeah. in a bachelor's degree, right? So it was kind of like sneaking into the lab at Arizona State and just trying <laughs> to use their force plates whenever I could. And uh, eventually, luckily in my business, I was able to to save up and, and afford this, this stuff because it is expensive equipment. Um, but yeah, I mean, I got to the point where now I'm really good at it. And so people are... You know, flying across the country to come see me to get these assessments and have me set up their program. That's that's great. Is, now, can you when you when you meet somebody and you and you do an assessment with them, do you have a pretty good idea of how much you're going to be able to help them by the first mm-hmm. assessment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, not always, but there there are times. Like, uh, for quick example, would be you know standing vertical. You're 35. We get you an approach vertical where you, where you have 15 feet to run and you're still 35 or you're 36, well, we know it's probably a mechanical issue. You don't know how to use your momentum and turn it into vertical velocity, mm-hmm. right? So something like that, I know I could put four or five, six inches on you quick just by fixing your mechanics. Wow. You have the power. Like my job is easy. I just got to teach you the mechanics. Um, sometimes it is a little more complex and you can't just do it from a vertical test. You got to go deeper and deeper. Eventually you get into like EMG and finding out like what muscles are active or what muscles are overactive, what muscles are underactive. So you can't always, and I never guarantee anything because it is like, 
it, it's really tough to tell somebody what they're going to gain. Right. Uh, all I tell people is I think I can get you to reach your genetic potential. Right. Whatever your genetic potential is, I can get you there. Well, I know how hard it is to change somebody's default recruitment pattern. You know, if I try mm -hmm. and teach somebody to walk differently or stand differently or sit differently, it takes a long time because you have For to sure. consciously do it over and over again before it becomes automatic. It must be extreme. It must be much more difficult to do that with a professional athlete who's been jumping a particular way probably since they first started playing basketball. Yep. How the hell do you get them to change their wiring with that? Because at that level, that's got to be so difficult. It is. It's very, very difficult, especially when you make it conscious. So the way that I teach it, if I can skip a conscious stage, I will. So if I can teach you how to jump without using words, I'm going to do it. If I can say, okay, look at your feet, now look at my feet. And then they can replicate that. Then it's okay. Let's let's keep repping it and repping, repping, repping. Then we skip a, a conscious stage. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they're not going to get that, and then you have to go to words. And sometimes they're not going to get that, and then you got to really break it down to the to the details. And the more details you break it down to, the more conscious it becomes, oh, and the longer it takes to transfer from conscious to subconscious. Mm -hmm. And I always tell them up front, you are going to decrease your vertical, and you're going to run slower when you mm -hmm. start with me, because at some level you're going to become more conscious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, it's just over time when we rep this out, eventually it's going to build back into your natural motor pattern. I was just going to say, because I always use the example of a typewriter. Like if I learn how to type with just two fingers and I do that for 10 years, I'm going to get pretty fast with just two fingers. And if I go and have to, and then learn how to use all my fingers, there's a period of time where I'm going to be slower, mm -hmm. but then eventually the potential is much higher. Exactly. And one of the biggest uh, fears of trainers that do what you do working with high level athletes is because these people are so good at compensating mm -hmm. is, oh, am I going to make them worse? Right. Am I going to, and so how do you deal with that? It's just risk versus reward. I mean, some things they might have a compensation pattern or they might have a left, right difference. And sometimes those actually make them better at their sport. And so, you know, you gotta, you gotta pick your battle wisely. Mm -hmm. You gotta pick and choose. Um, you're not going to correct everything, but there's some things where in the past we've seen like, yeah, if I can get you to stay down on the heels a little bit longer, you're going to improve your vertical jump because it's worked for so many people. So you got to just kind of pick wisely. Anything that could potentially really lead to an injury, we're going to change. Mm -hmm. um, well, like I know example, I remember a strength coach was telling me like, you know, in terms of like valgus, like a lot of times we're trying to eliminate that, whereas that's where they're producing the most amount of force. And yeah. so let's learn how to like work with that and then build off of that. Even, exactly. You know, so yeah, I just had a post about that. Um, so a lot of the best jumpers have some internal rotation and some adduction. And what you're doing is you're winding up the glutes because if the glutes are external rotators, we can wind them up by get, getting into a little internal rotation. And you, when you internally rotate, you get a little bit of a forward tilt, an anterior pelvic tilt. And then what do they externally rotate at the top? Give generate more power? Yeah, so then it's when you spiral to explode, sure. yeah, it's a spiral sure. effect. Okay. So you're winding up that like spring. Like Olympic lifters when they're at the So do you not try and mm -hmm. fix that then? Do you not try to address that or you leave it? I'll usually leave it unless it's happening on the landing. Mm -hmm. I mean, 90% of the injuries are going to happen on the landing. Okay. So if you're landing with that, that's an issue. But if that's how you're producing force and it's not excessive, then we're going to leave it. Oh, that's interesting. I would encourage it. Mm -hmm. Now, it's something that's so rhythm and uh, I should say timing based that you can't teach it. 
Mm-hmm. I can't teach somebody, hey, you got to drop your knees inwards. Oh, there's no. <laughs> there's yeah. some things that you just can't teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they're doing it naturally, I'm going to leave it alone. Mm-hmm. And we've assessed some of the best jumpers in the world, professional dunkers. All the best jumpers have a little bit of that internal rotation. Wow. Well, what do you think? Uh, well, what, what do you see as like some of the worst advice in terms of like, uh, you know, improving your vertical jump or like some of the myths out yeah, there? Common fallacies yeah. out there. I mean, probably the the one that I that I mentioned before is just the stronger we get, the higher we jump. Mm. It's just not true. I mean, it's true to a certain point, uh, but but at some point, how strong is strong enough? You got to ask yourself that question. So uh, we can get somebody to maybe squat, you know, two hundred, let's say two fifty pounds, you know, and then we get them up to three hundred and they jump a little higher. Maybe we get them up to three twenty five, they jump a little bit higher. But then we keep get going up and up and up and their vertical doesn't keep increasing. Mm-hmm. So like we've reached the point where they they're strong enough. Now you got to improve the rate of force development. Right. So now let's not go higher than 300 pounds. Let's stay at 300 pounds. Let's get you to lift that Just weight faster. faster. Yeah. So let's you're doing it at, you know, 0.5 meters per second. Let's get you up to 0.6 and then 0.7 and then 0.8. So we never have to go heavier. I just got to get you to lift that weight faster. Now, what about range of motion? Because you are sport specific and there's probably not a lot of benefit, I would think, for like these full deep squats. Right. Do you, do you like train? quarter squats. Yeah, yeah. Do you train? Yeah. In- so we would, even with our NBA players, we start deeper. And then as the program progresses, we go narrow, narrow, narrow. So mm-hmm. we, we get more towards uh, that, that quarter squat as we go on. So the, the studies show that the quarter squat is better for the vertical jump, mm-hmm. but what's better for muscle hypertrophy is deep squats, right. yeah. your range of motion. So a lot of times that could be a limiting factor, especially early on mm-hmm. could be hypertrophy. You know, you get the, the you get the muscle bigger, comes with a bigger cross-sectional area, more potential for force production. Right, because wouldn't you think that if you didn't do it the way that you described, that could be a potential problem in the future? If we just started with the, you know, the quarter squat, eventually they get in a position where their body isn't as familiar in that, and that could be potential for, mm-hmm. for injury. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you got to build your base. Like, you have to have a base of strength. You have to have a, a decent hypertrophy long-term, even just for injury prevention reasons. And so we never skip that phase, but I I would say people stay in that phase for too long. They get excited. Oh, I'm gaining muscle. I'm gaining some strength and I am jumping a little higher. And then they just keep going where we would stop them after a couple months of the deep squat. And then we'd get them into half squats and then we'd get them into quarter squats. Yeah. A lot of people have trouble understanding that, that when you first start out with your training, it's general, but as you get better and better and better, it becomes much more and more and more specific. And the problem with that is you have a lot of kids and stuff who watch the advanced training and they want to do the real specific stuff, mm-hmm. not realizing that there's a couple years of just regular deep back squats. Exactly. So yeah. in our in my staff meeting the other day, I, I gave them an example where I had this small cup and I went and I started filling up the cup and it was overflowing and it was spilling out on the floor. And I was like, what, what happened? I didn't expand the cup. I tried mm-hmm. to increase the level of that water without getting a bigger cup. So uh, we're going to get gains for a while, but at some point that water is going to start to overflow. Now I need more general human capabilities, general strength, general movement, mm. not sport specific. Then that expands that cup. Now, when I go back to the sport specifics, I can fill up that level uh, of water. Increases higher Increases the potential. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. We always say that that strength is the found, the, the foundation of all other physical pursuits. Yep. One of the questions I have, one of my big, biggest pet peeves as a, as a trainer and a, and a gym manager and owner was seeing people use plyometrics 
like just in circuits as a way to get tired. Oh, yeah. Like just jumping on a box until you can't jump anymore or whatever. Yeah. Can you talk about the difference <laughs> between doing plyometrics the way that they're supposed to be done and the way that people do them in gyms all the time and why one is better than the other? Yeah. So that's another um, one, one of the huge myths that uh, people think that, you know, more is better and you have to have a burn on everything. So first of all, like when a muscle burns, what would be the body's adaptation? fatigue resistance. Mm-hmm. What is fatigue resistance? Slow twitch muscle fibers. Right. So we're already getting away from the goal of maximizing our fast twitch muscle fibers. So like for our guys, when we're doing plyometrics, the set probably isn't going to last much longer than 10 seconds. It will probably never last longer than 20 seconds. So everything is short. Everything is high quality. Uh, we try to monitor everything. And so uh, we go on like a just jump mat and we'll do our plyometrics there. And if it's 30 and then 30 and then 30 and then 29 and 28, we're cutting the set right there. Because if you're jumping any lower than we're going after endurance or explosion capacity, it's diminishing returns. And so uh, we're not training the nervous system to do what we want it to do. So that's probably the one thing that people, the, the general fitness person does is they do plyometrics for conditioning. And I just see no point in that, especially for for like, what are you doing it for? Because that- That's a high risk way to get it's tired. It's a high yeah. risk way to get tired. <laughs> yeah. Yes, like go run a hill sprint. Eat chins and, you know, kill yourself. Do jumping yes. jacks in place. You're yes. better off. It makes no sense. But then like, you still have high level trainers, like NBA trainers that will do that. And they say, well, you know, we need endurance. We need explosion capacity. And I'm like, first of all, that's dangerous, but it's all, it also doesn't translate. Because like in basketball, there's no sport where you just jump up and down over and over and over. (laughs) You sprint, you cut, you walk, you jog, you jump, you slide. And so there's no way to get in shape other than mimicking that. Mm -hmm. Really, there's no way to truly get in shape other than playing basketball. That's right. Everything else that we're doing is just, you know, we hope that it transfers. Hill sprints transfer a little bit. Sprints transfer a little bit. But if you're doing jumping exercises or like high rep strength training to get tired, you're probably becoming more slow twitch dominant. And that endurance isn't even transferring to the court. Right. So why are we doing it? The that? way I like to explain mm-hmm. it is I like to say, you know, you have a toolbox and you open up the toolbox and you have a hammer and a screwdriver and a wrench. And people, what they'll do is they'll grab the hammer and then that's what they use for everything. Mm-hmm. Weights are very, very good at building strength. Plyometrics are very, very good at making you explosive. Don't use them for shit that they're not good for. Like exactly. you want endurance, do something for endurance. I'm yep. not going. I'm not trying to run long distance to get stronger. Yeah. Then why am I lifting weights like that? That's one of the biggest knocks we we had on CrossFit was how they yep. put mm-hmm. their Olympic lifts and plyos in these circuits. They're like yeah. why, why mix all yeah. that up? That what's what's to do it? Just muddies no up the water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Now, do yeah. you because because you're dealing with some high level athletes. Do you see that there, there's still a big problem even at like the NBA level? Mm-hmm. For sure. Wow. Well, and the, the other thing is these elite athletes, they want to feel the burn. When they're coming in for a workout, like they want you to kill them. They're athletes. They've and been so, conditioned yeah. that way. So yeah. the guys that I have now that have been with me for years, they know that I have a reasoning to everything I do. So they know mm-hmm. if I bring them in and I don't make them tired, there is a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I want them to leave the gym feeling better, feeling like they could go jump higher after the session. But I also got to meet them in the middle and have their days where we do just kill you because there is still a mental benefit 
get to it. Like we go run uh, sand dunes. I don't love it from a you know physiological perspective. I, I, I don't love... It's mental toughening. It's mental toughness. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, mental is way more important than physical. Mm-hmm. So I got to meet them in the middle and I'll give them some brutal workouts that make them burn, uh, even though it's not necessarily going towards the goal that I want to achieve. Yeah, I really appro- appreciate what you're saying because I think if more trainers understood that and understood what the desired outcome was like, okay, today we're going to train your mental capacity to handle pain and fatigue. That's what the workout is designed around. Okay. Mm. Today we're going to train for speed and power. That's what we're going to train towards. Okay. Today we're building strength. I think if, if more trainers understood that they would be far more successful. And so you're finding even at your level that you're not common, you're a rarity still. Yeah. uh, I think so. That's great for you. Yeah, it is. It is. It's good business. It makes me. It makes it really easy for me to get more clients. <laughs> so you, yeah. when you when you first started, because I've I've had gyms and I've had lots of trainers work for me. All of us have, and almost every trainer that comes out of college with a with a degree, uh, you know, a, a bachelor's or master's in some kind of exercise related field, almost every single one of them is like, I want to work with high level athletes, and I always look at them and say, okay, that's a, such a that's one of the hardest possible parts of the personal training market mm-hmm. to do well in. It's just very, very difficult. Yep. Once these guys started contacting you, how did contacting how did you grow so fast and get so successful? You're young. I just asked you at your age, you're you're under 30. How did yep. you get how did you get so successful so quickly in that in that well, I mean, the short answer is results. So like you got to get that one person to trust you. Like mm-hmm. I got Malcolm Lee to trust me. He came back, he put seven inches on, he made it back to the NBA. And, you know, these are small circles. Everybody talks within mm-hmm. the, they all grew up playing club ball together. They all know each other. So, mm-hmm. you know, the word starts to spread. And then I get uh, clients like James Harden and he's the MVP and they're like, well, who's his trainer? And so it really spreads once you're in. Um, getting in is the hard part. And getting in, you just got to show your passion. You got to every single day show online how passionate you are about it, how driven you are, give value, 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 ask for nothing. And eventually somebody's going to find you. You know, if you stay at it, like at that rate, somebody's going to find you, whether that's a coach, a GM, a player, and you're going to get your opportunity. But the people that say they want to work with high level athletes, they want to just like go study more and more and more and get degrees and like think that all of a sudden some connection is going to put them in the place where they need to be, or they think, yeah, then they make the excuse that, uh, it's all about connections and I just don't know enough people. Mm. But like in my situation, I didn't know anybody, but I just said like, I'm passionate about this. I'm going to learn as much as I can. And I'm going to put out information every single day. Mm. Have any of the like NBA or, or college level organizations approached you in terms of like coaching or like being involved that way? Yeah. So Actually, when I started my business, I have a terrible business name. It's my initials, PJF Performance. I created that on a whim. I didn't even know your name was Paul. That's yeah. like how I know yourself. Yeah. 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 Um, so I created that on a whim because I didn't think that I was going to go super far with my business. I just needed an LLC name, so I called it PJF Performance. The whole reason that I did that was because I wanted to become known. I wanted to be a go-to guy, and then I wanted to get a team job. Mm. I didn't know that being an independent basketball performance trainer was an industry. Yeah. So I didn't think I could really make it. That was more of like a way to promote myself to get a team job. And then in the last couple of years, I started getting offers 
last year I actually got my dream job offer that I grew up dreaming of my whole life. And I turned it down because I'm actually in a better position that's now. That's so rad. Wow. That's yeah. so, that's How did that feel, man? Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. That's it, fucking It was cool. a tough decision to make because you're like, well, I dreamed about this my whole life. Mm-hmm. Like I'm here. But then you realize that, you know, I'm, I'm able to help an NBA player. I'm able to travel whenever I want and go to clinics in Panama and Philippines mm-hmm. and give back and do charity clinics and do a lot outside of freedom that, that a lot way, more right? freedom yeah. and there's no cap as far as earning mm. I, I would hate to have somebody tell me you're going to earn this much and that's all you can earn even if it's a high amount i want to if i grind harder i want to be able to make more money and so um I, i'm in a good position where i don't think i would work for an nba team right now yeah i have a wow. i have one interesting situation if they offer me a backup point guard role and strength <laughs> that's it Certain if somebody terms. offers me that i'm gonna do it it's like, yeah. it's like when sylvester like stallone wrote the script for rocky he's like i'll let you buy it but yeah. i gotta but be i'm acting yeah i gotta be in the movie i'm the guy you yeah. know what i'm saying yeah. Yeah. so what it, can you tell us what is that dream job or what 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 was that dream job what did it look like can you share like i can't i can't share the team okay that's um, fine i figured that yeah yeah, yeah. i don't want to like disrespect respect the, course not, the course organization. Not. Um, but I mean, it was the, it was the perfect situation. It's a, a historic franchise and, um, and it's the team that I've, that I've always wanted to work with. And when you just, as a kid, you're growing up and you're just dreaming of where you could be as a professional, as a trainer. And like, this is it. But uh, I'm able to train the players from this team and I'm able to uh, train players all over the NBA and all over the world. So it's actually a, a better position. So were you able to still work that out where you could, you know, work directly with them, but still maintain your independence? That was the issue is I couldn't do any NBA training. So I could keep like my online training business, mm-hmm. uh, but I wouldn't be able to train other NBA players. Oh, they wanted ex- exclusivity. Yeah, I'm so dedicated to the clients that I've been working with. And I look at it as a marathon. Like, I don't want to just get you results for two years. I want to be with you your whole career. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it would kind of kill me to like let down all of these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's integrity. Do you, right there. Do you have a, a favorite athlete that you work with? I know that's a really tough question to ask. but It's tough. I mean, they're all unique in their own way. I learned so much from them because you look at how rare it is to be at the NBA level. So they have so many mental traits that I can learn from. Um, James Harden is fun. Um, he's so dedicated to the game and you look at somebody, there's never been somebody to go from six man to MVP. Mm-hmm. Most people, uh, would be satisfied with six man. You know, you make it to the finals, you're the six man. That's, that's pretty baller. And, and yeah. on he, our legit team, too. on a legit team. Yeah. And you know, he gets traded to the Rockets and people say, well, he's overpaid and he's not a superstar. He's just a role player. And then he becomes like a top three player in the NBA and and he's last year's MVP. So like that's, uh, he's really cool to work with just to see how he's never satisfied, how he's motivated by legacy and not by happiness. Mm -hmm. And that's like all of the best players. If you're motivated by happiness, I made it to the NBA. Yeah, I'm rich. I'm like, done. What else? Yeah, what's yeah. next? But the ones that are really motivated by legacy, they're the ones it's like, it's never enough. It's Kobe. It's like, there's always something else to do. Um, and so he's one of those guys. So I can kind of steal a lot of those, those mental attributes from him. And then it's also fun with him because you're just private jets and yachts and whatever you want to do. <laughs> so like I was, so with, they take you, they take you with them on this. Uh, sometimes that doesn't I, suck. yeah, it's, <laughs> Uh, usually I'm too you have to busy. to sign like an NDA, like I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, like with James, I, I go on vacation with him a lot. So like I went with him to Barcelona this year, Ibiza, Turks and Caicos. Like it, 
incredible off season with him and you're training for an hour and then the rest is just hanging out and just enjoying <laughs> your life. Um, so it's always oh, fun. Yeah. It's always fun to work with him, but there's all of our guys are so much fun to work with. Do you, do you recognize like just, is there a whole nother work work ethic with these uh, professional athletes or do you see more of it just their genetic freaks or is it like a combination of the two? It's a combination. Um, I've had guys that are genetic freaks who just don't have it mentally and I don't train them anymore. That means that they either come in and they just realize they can't hang with the program and they drop out or I have to respectfully let them go because we just, we're not a good fit mentally Uh, because everybody that I train, we have to be a fit. I'm not just going to train you because you're good and I can get paid. We got to be a fit because I'm all in and I want to get you results. So there's been guys that are, you know, top five draft picks that people think the world of, but I can tell right away that they just don't have that work ethic to get to that next level. So all the people that I currently train, they are like straight dogs. Like they really want it and they have the genetics to go with it. And then it's also fun to see the guys who are such dogs that they don't have the genetics and they're still there. Yeah. Like I train... Shabazz Napier and Tyus Jones, who are my size, these guys are like listed as 6'2". They're like 5'11". Um, you know, 170 pounds. It's the shoes. And, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're not freak athletes and they're still there uh, because mentally they're just on a whole different level. Their work ethic. Yeah. Wow. Do you see a huge market? Because we have a, the, the marketing guy that we work with um, used to coach football, but he liked to coach kids. And he's always talking to us about how massive that market is student for athletes. yeah student athletes and building and designing programs for them. And he's always trying to talk us into getting into that space. How Have you looked into that space? How big is that space for what you do rather than just working with yeah, the NBA guys? In terms of parents kind of purchasing your programs for their kids, like, like mm-hmm. tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. Like that's, if you're a uh, a business owner, if you're a trainer, like that's the market. Really? Um, that's the market. I mean, you want to, if you're, if, if you're fortunate to get in with pros, that's great. And if you can make a lot of money training pros, great, but it's still very sporadic, like NBA off season, you're getting them for three months. Mm -hmm. And so what happens the rest of the time? And so you got to be able to kind of leverage that Mm -hmm. and leverage where you're at in your career and then get, you know, younger kids to buy in because the youth is year round. And so, uh, we, at our gym in Anaheim, we train a ton of kids. I mean, we'll train hundreds of kids every year. I don't personally do it anymore because I don't have the time, but I write programs and I have trainers and physical therapists under me that take the programs. Um, and then what I do for the youth is also my online program. So we have kids in every single country on our online, uh, training platform. Mm-hmm. How big is your staff now with your with your company? Uh, so we have three trainers and then a physical therapist and then a couple of videographers. Wow, that's awesome! Now you you said earlier in the in the podcast that you a lot of the stuff you had to self learn, um, and I'm also assuming you have formal education as well that's mm-hmm. related to to this field. Yep. When you're ta- if, for the new trainers listening right now who really want to be on the cutting edge, like what's the value in the academia stuff and what's the value and you got to kind of learn a lot of stuff on your own. Yeah. So, I mean, it's great to have a degree. It just, I mean, it's great for credibility purposes, but like the stuff that I'm using for my degree right now is very, very little. Like where I learned all my information is just grinding, getting out and talking to trainers, guys that are getting good results with athletes. I would fly out and I would talk to them for a day. I'd take them out Mm. for coffee and just talk shop. And, um, you know, getting in the lab and just 
just training people and getting experience. That's where it all comes from. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is nice. Like I have a exercise science degree and your typical CSCS certifications and all Mm -hmm. that. Um, so that stuff is good, but people do rely on that too much. And they think that that's, what's going to take them to the next level. There is no certification that's going to take you to the next level. Mm -hmm. It only comes from you like getting out and actually getting like real practical knowledge. And so like, People will spend $30,000 on a bachelor's degree, but a successful trainer puts out a webinar for a hundred or $200 and they don't buy that, you know, like that's, that's the best thing you can do is learn from people who are already successful in the industry. So you got to kind of shift your thinking and realize like, if this trainer is putting out any information, I have to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. We agree. I mean, that's how all of us learn most of what we know. And then we have people who host certifications in here and the information that you get with some of these certifications is just it's priceless and you can't compare it to what you would get, you know, at, at a university. So mm-hmm. we're big, sure. we're, we're huge proponents of that. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I was going to ask you about that. Cause there are a lot of modalities that have popped up, you know, recently, are there any that you've paid attention to or like, you know, vested your, uh, you, you know, your money and in, in, in efforts and in getting more educated in a certain direction? Um, the most recent one was FRC. Mm -hmm. I really love functional range conditioning. That's one thing that I think is not a fad. We've gotten some good results uh, with our players. How do you apply it to the, to the players? What do you mean? Well, well, and and when do you apply it in the programming? Yeah. In the programming, how do you apply it? So, I mean, like in our, as an extension of our warm up, we'll usually do some Mm. type of FRC. Like a priming. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like a priming. And it, it depends on you know, what their specific limitation is. Normally we can see how they move on the court and figure out what joint needs more range of motion and then what actual modality we apply to it. Mm. But I mean, I've spent years going through the typical, you know, static stretching. You think it works, it doesn't. <laughs> and then you get into dynamic stretching. It works a little bit, but long-term it doesn't make huge changes. And then you get into like functional range conditioning and like, you know, uh, you're training at end range and that kind of stuff, that stuff actually lasts and, and really can change joint range of motion. Yeah. That was mind blowing for me as an early trainer when I realized that, you know, just having more flexibility without control or connection to it, it just meant you would have more instability. Yeah. That exactly. was mind blowing for me the first time I learned yeah. that. For every degree of range of motion that you gain at a joint, there's an equal responsibility to stabilize mm-hmm. that those degrees of range of motion. And that's what people forget about. And it, 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 it leaves you at, at risk for injury, uh, but it also can decrease your explosiveness because you look at like, uh, how important the stretch reflex is for mm-hmm. jumping. So if I'm going, if I'm lowering into my jump, I need my quads to sense stretch. As soon as they sense that stretch, they're going to kick in that stretch reflex and I'm going to get a more explosive concentric. But if I'm so flexible through the quads that I don't sense that stretch, I got to keep going lower and lower and lower to the point where I'm probably down in a deep squat to get that stretch reflex. And we don't have the time to get Mm -hmm. to those positions in games. And so there's, there's times where you're increasing range of motion or flexibility, I should say, far more than what you actually need in your sport. Yeah, there's a there's a correlation to tightness and explosiveness. Uh, there's a little yep. bit of a correlation there. Yep. How do you work with someone who does have a shit ton of range of motion? How do you improve their their ability to to to, you know, activate that that stretch reflex or at least maybe compensate for it? Well, we get away from a lot of stretching. Um, it's funny because I do have a couple guys uh, the guys that I've had that have been injured are guys that are just super hypermobile. Isn't that they, funny? Yeah, they usually like, they can do. You know, they can they can sit there in a hamstring stretch and get like their chest down to their thigh, yeah. and it's like 
uh, ACL injuries have come from from the, these hypermobile guys. Um, so first of all, like their teams still have them stretching, like they're still doing static stretching with the with the team, and it's like, why mm-hmm. are you adding to their their problem? Um, so it's getting away from stretching and then just getting stronger. Um, heavy load strength training is a good way to stiffen up the tendons. The best way to stiffen up tendons mm. is heavy load strength training. Um, and then doing a lot of like shorter range of motion stuff. Like think about like a like a single leg RDL mm-hmm. where you would normally go really low. We'll go like a med ball overhead and we'll go fast on the way down. And then I want them to stop like as soon as before their torso even reaches parallel. So they're teaching their hamstrings to just rapidly create tension. Oh, I got it. Yeah, so that's what it's all about. Whoever can create tension faster in the muscle, mm-hmm. that's what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. Tension correlates to rate of force development. And so we want them to rapidly develop tension and get rid of that muscle slack. So we do a lot more partial range of motion stuff instead of deep range of motion stuff, and we get them away from stretching and add this the heavy strength training for tendon stiffness. Fascinating. Is there anything that's non-training related that you have found that will increase explosiveness uh, in in the people that you work with? Like maybe nutrition or supplementation? Oh yeah, nutrition is huge. I mean, that's half the battle right there. Like body composition at the end of the day is step one. Our body composition has to be, you know, where we want it. Fat don't fly. So if you have, <laughs> if you have extra fat, like, you have a t-shirt. That's that a t-shirt that, right? right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fat don't fly. So that's number one. Like uh, we got to make sure that you're probably under 10% body fat. The best jumpers are. Um, and I mean, not to get into that too much, but there is elite performance and health are on different ends of the spectrum. So sure. there is yeah. times where we get somebody too lean and to maintain that, they have to be in this huge caloric deficit, and then other systems are compromised, like your immune system. And all right. of a sudden, they try to play 82 games, and they're sick every other month, and they're missing these games. So there is a balance. I'm not I'm not somebody who says leaner is always better, uh, but we do want them generally below 10% body fat if possible. So nutrition, obviously, is, is the majority of body composition. So mm-hmm. getting their diet right is huge. Do you notice a difference in abilities uh, to, you know, to generate? generate force when somebody is lacking sleep or under high stress? For sure. That's, that's so big. And so a lot of what I do is just generally teaching people how to live a better life. I almost become like a life coach so that we can improve. Every trainer. Yeah. (laughs) If you're good, that's inevitability. Yeah. Yeah, You end up becoming, yeah. yeah, you end up becoming a life coach and figuring out like what makes you happy. Do like walks on the beach make you happy? Great. Let's do that for recovery. Mm -hmm. And like, stuff even down to like the music that they listen to so what basketball players do is you get done with your workout where you're sympathetic your drive your go 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 right all recovery happens in parasympathetic Mm -hmm. we don't recover anything if we're still in the sympathetic we get in our car and then we listen to rap music which is like bob your head sympathetic sympathetic, and we we and then you might go to the club and you're sympathetic and like your whole day is sympathetic so like can you lay down on the couch and do some belly breathing for 10 minutes and get you into that parasympathetic zone. Or like after the workout, can I get you to do five, 10 minutes of breathing and then get you to listen to some slow R&B that mm-hmm. doesn't get you hyped up and just allows you to kick into that recovery zone. Interesting. So there's so many different ways that you can get athletes to just relax more and just figuring out what makes you happy. Like studies show just like seeing the color green, like going out into a park can put you into that mm-hmm. sympathetic and so, like, can we get off the video games and just go for a walk? Something no. that I learned uh, recently, relatively, we have a sponsor, Felix Gray, and they make these these glasses that block 
a lot of the damaging blue rays uh, that we'll get from electronics. And so I'll put them on, especially at night, and it helps my brain, my brain realize that it's nighttime and mm-hmm. I get better sleep. And I notice better performance in the gym now that I've been right. wearing them for a while. Do, do, yep. do you have any of your athletes wearing blue blockers and stuff? No, no, but that's something that I would definitely look into. Anybody that has sleep issues, we just kind of go to the basics of, could you make your room a little cooler? Mm-hmm. Um, can we make your room a little darker? Yeah. Can we get away from using your phone 30 minutes before bed? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so you know, little steps like that. Mm-hmm. Usually we don't have to go to the extreme of bringing in technology because they are they have such bad habits. We just got to get rid of like them just like watching YouTube and then falling asleep. I was going to ask you about that because it seems like you're in the sports science world of it too. So there's a lots of these devices and things that kind of, I'm sure are getting thrown at you too, to try out and like, you know, mm-hmm. mess with your athletes with, how do you filter through all that and determine like, well, this actually has some potential versus this is another fucking distraction. Yeah. I mean, some stuff we can just do, like I said, better sleep. Like we can do that without technology. Um, now if we take the necessary steps and we get rid of the phone and we get the room cooler and darker and they still can't fall asleep. Okay. Now let's go to the next step and let's try to bring in technology or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's always just like, you just go through kind of the, the important things. Do you have the basics covered? Are you still not getting results? Okay. Well then let's move to technology. Mm -hmm. And I'm fortunate that I, I still play basketball and I can still like hang with these guys at that level because I can try everything on myself and I can be the guinea pig mm. instead of having to try something randomly on an NBA player. Mm-hmm. So that's one benefit that I have uh, is that every method that I come up with, any technology uh, that I want to implement, I can do a trial period on myself. But now what excites you in terms of like, so have you messed with HRV? Have you messed with uh, like any other like technology you thought like, wow, this is breakthrough. I'm going to use this. Yeah. HRV I use for uh, a couple of years and it worked really well. Um, we started using the whoop watch. Um, Mm -hmm, I don't know mm -hmm. if you're familiar with that. They use HRV and it tracks sleep and, um, our guys like that because of the simplicity. Um, and it, it made a difference, I think, but it can also be misleading in a way. Uh, sometimes you come in and your HRV scores look good and your workout still sucks. Like it, <laughs> it doesn't always, you know, correlate directly. Yeah. And, well, and yeah, so the, the test, the, the great coaches are the ones that are super intuitive and they know like the way that the player shakes your hand, something's a little off. That's right. And I yeah. can look in your eyes and based on how you're talking to me, I know something's a little off. And so I can kind of tailor the workout a little different. Mm-hmm. Maybe we go in, maybe we don't do plyos this day because your nervous system looks completely burned out. Maybe we just go through mobility and get a little aerobic work to reboost that nervous system. There's so many factors that that will affect somebody. And well, yeah, imagine yeah. a kid, and, I, and this was the flaw that I saw in HRV, was that imagine you get this amazing sleep and it says green, go kick ass, but then on the way there, you get a phone call and you find out that your girl's cheating on you. Right. Like that mental space, that athlete has got to be yes. so fucked and yes. his workout's fucked, but yep. he had great sleep last night. <laughs> HRV yeah. says go, right? right. So yeah, Absolutely. There's so many factors. At the end of the day, you can't you want to you want to be entrenched in the technology and you want to try this stuff out but you don't want to become reliant on it at the end of the day you got to be intuitive and you got to work with athletes and and like i said be able to look in their eyes and tell if they're tired is your goal when you're when you're coaching because one of my goals when i would train clients i use the word intuitive and that's what brought this uh, up for me was to get people because no matter how good of a coach i was or how good of a trainer i was I, I could my potential to coach a person is never going to be as high as their their potential to coach themselves in the mm-hmm. sense that 
they're in their own body. They know what how they feel. It's just getting them to, to teach them to understand what those signals are. Do exactly. you do that with your with your trainers or with your clients as well? Yep. I mean, I look at everything as like, this is a partnership. This isn't a dictatorship. I'm not telling you what to do. Like, let's work together and let's figure out how, how you're going to get results. And so giving them a little bit of ownership uh, is huge from the mental standpoint because they know that you're not like talking down to them. Um, so they get the buy, you get the buy-in from that, from giving them ownership, but also you're going to get the best results when you allow the athlete to kind of move how they want to move to a certain extent. And like I said before, you pick your battles. So like this, I want to change, but that you move however you want to move. Mm, mm. And so like, I notice when I follow a program, um, like when in the past, when I followed programs, I felt intuitively like I should be going in a slightly different direction. Today, I feel like I should skip this exercise because my knees are a little sore, but the program says to do it. So if you push through it and you do it, you end up harming yourself. But if you can really be intuitive and you can let the athlete have ownership, sometimes they can be like, okay, this is a great program, but I'm going to skip this and that. And so you can't be the trainer that's like, oh, you're soft. Like, you're not going to do that. <laughs> you got it. You got to really trust that the athlete does know what they're doing because they know their body better than you do. Mm -hmm. What's the biggest challenge with working with professional athletes? Because they're different, a whole different class of human. Yes, they're a whole different class of human. Um, ego is the one thing. Really? I mean, uh, you know, part of me thinks that the reason, for some of them, the reason that they're there is because the ego is right. so big mm -hmm. and they feel so strongly about their abilities and like they... Uh, they just want to grind so bad to be noticed and be the best. And so like their confidence and their ego is kind of what got them there. But then that's also the downfall of like, they have to maintain a relationship with you and they have to maintain a relationship with their family members. And, and so, you know, sometimes that's their downfall. And so I'm trying to kind of help teach them to like limit the negative sides of the ego and then benefit from the positive sides of, of having a big ego. And so for me, it's just, you know, basic things like communication. If somebody's five minutes late and I text them and I say, hey, you, like, you got to get here. You can't be late. You're risking at the NBA level that they could be like, well, there's a thousand other trainers. That's I right. can just go. Yeah. And so luckily the ones the the guys that I train, they're all bought in and they trust me. And so they'll put their ego aside if I get on them. But for the majority of athlete or the majority of trainer, that's what uh, they're going to struggle with is like you can't say anything to them because they're so high up. Yeah. I, I can imagine that you have learned over time to probably uh, set the table before, like when you first meet. Yeah. So walk me through a conversation. I'm an NBA player. It's the first time we meet and you talk to me. What are some of the things you're laying down to me, what we're going to get into? Yeah, I mean, you have to you have to lay down um, a, a foundation. And just like, I, I'm not a big believer in, in rules, uh, but up front, I'll just say like, look, there's a lot of, players out there that would like to work with me and I don't do this for the money and I don't do this because you're a big time top 10 NBA player. I do this because I'm so passionate about this and when my guys get results, I'm happy and when they don't get results, I get depressed. And so they know up front like, wow, this guy really cares. I can't just mess around. Right. I can't just randomly show up when I want to show up and I do let them know that I, I drop clients if I feel like they're not uh, a good fit and, and we're not getting the results because they're just not consistent enough that I will drop them. Have and you so, had to drop an NBA player? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. shit. What's that, that conversation? I've like? had to. <laughs> <laughs> You're you, fired. <laughs> yeah. Usually I just respectfully, you know, say 
I know a trainer down the street who <laughs> I think is pretty good. Um, I don't know if he's as good as me, but he's pretty good. And I think that he'll put up with your shit. <laughs> like, I'm not going to put up your, with your shit. Up front, you have to. And you, as a trainer, you got to put your ego aside and just cater to everything in the first couple of years. But once you have a certain you know level of client, you can then say, well, I really don't need you. And so I do this for the passion. And you know, if you don't, if you're not a good fit, then go down the street. Now that takes years to get to that level. Yeah. I remember that progression, even as a trainer myself of you, when you're first building, you kind of just take everybody, you put up yeah. with all the shit yeah. and whatever. And then eventually you reach this period where you can be selective on who you want to coach and train. Now talk to me from a business perspective. Like, do you remember very pivotal moments that like you you felt in the business where it's like, you know, you talked about this, which I thought was such a great point. You talk about adding value and adding value and adding value and just not asking for anything and eventually comes. Do you remember those those pivotal moments where you had breakthroughs and the, the business started to scale more? Yeah, um, I think even when I was a senior, it was like uh, a week before my graduation when I launched my first vertical jump program and it just took off. We had thousands and thousands of sales and um, I was able to uh, scale really big before I, before I even... Uh, graduated college. And oh, so that was one milestone where I was like, wow, this is Did it is surprise like, you or what? Oh, big time. Cause oh, I was cool. like, you know, through college, you know, I'm in, I'm in debt, um, 30, $40,000. And I'm, I'm living like a lot of college students, meal to meal. Like you're planning out your budget, like how to go get a Chipotle burrito. <laughs> and um, at the time I was actually, I couldn't make quite enough off training. And so I was doing fitness writing. I had, I found this content mill where you write them articles like a couple pages and they get you in with like eHow, Houston Chronicle, Live Strong, and you get 20 to $30 per article. But each article has to be very well researched and very well written. And I had no idea how to write. I was a terrible student. Like I was a C student in high school. So I had no idea how to write, but I had to make money. And so I was just cranking out articles and then the editor would get back to me and be like, yeah, this sucks. You can't write. <laughs> like we are now dumber after reading this. <laughs> um, All right. And so, yeah, a simple no would have, would have been okay. But so I had to get really good at writing. And so I just taught myself how to write. And luckily my fiance is a good writer and she taught me how to write. Um, and so I was just pumping out these articles. I'd do like three or four a night. I would stay up all night and then I would go train all day. Mm. And so I was just grinding, but still barely making it. And then that's when I kind of realized like the power of social media. When I started building that following and I launched that program, all of a sudden my, you know, I went from like 20, dollars $30,000 a year to like $200,000 a year Wow! while I was still in college. And it just shows you the power of social media and what you can really do when you what are those, provide value. Um, what are those platforms that, you know, in terms of like sports specific training, like stack TV or like, what, what are some of these platforms? If I'm a trainer and I'm sports specific, you know, where could I look at trying to write articles? Yeah. So I started actually on stack. Um, you're not really, I didn't get paid at least through stack, maybe like a couple cents, uh, but it was good exposure. Um, so stack is a good one to start at. And then there's these, that, this content mill, they switched the name of it. I think it's called like, it was demand media. 
I'm, I'm sure you could search it, but basically you write these articles and then they'll get you placed in like live strong in these different places, which mm. is great as a trainer. Cause it gives you credibility. Right. So, um, that was actually probably a pretty big step I took as a trainer in getting like parents to buy in mm. because kids are like, Oh, you can jump 40 something inches. I want to train, yeah. but you got to sell the parents. And so with the parents, it's like, well, Hey, I'm, I'm in live strong. I'm in this, like I could send them the art right. the fitness articles that I'm writing. And so, you know, you're building up that credibility. So, you know, finding these different content mills, stuff like stack, like any, any, any opportunity you have to like go and write for an established website, do it early on, even if you're not going to get paid a lot. And it seems like you've acquired like the trifecta, right? So you have the, the authority and credibility through writing. And then, you know, just from providing value, uh, an NBA player came and kind of gave you that, you know, as well, more authority in that direction. So it just Mm -hmm. seems like you start in one direction, build that, and then it sort of uh, goes from there. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it just starts with passion and consistency. Mm. That's it. Like I had no direction. I didn't have like a detailed plan of how I was going to get here, but I just knew if I provide a lot of value and I ask for nothing in return and I do it every single day, something good is going to come. And then, like you said, the trifecta things start to come. That's That's great. That's extremely true statement. Uh, Have you thought about doing anything for academia? Have you published anything for them or are you ever going to go in that direction? Yep. So that's what we're working on right now. Um, I have a webinar series. Uh, We launched our first webinar, which is actually what we're talking about, how to become a performance trainer. And basically it is... I don't know how to teach you how to blow up in 1990, but I know how to teach you how to blow up a strength and conditioning program in 2018, 19, 20. And so kind of using social media and what we're talking about right now, how to leverage yourself and and blow up your brand so that you can eventually uh, train high level athletes, because I know I'm enjoying my life so much. I love my job so much. I want more people to experience this. And so the webinar series is really good for trainers. Um, We're going to try to launch a new webinar every month. And then I'm also working on an official certification, uh, which I don't know uh, when that will launch, but I'm hoping in the next year. And I got some really exciting people to uh, go in with me on that, some of Mm. the top minds in the field. And so in the next year or so, we're going to have a strength and conditioning certification. Like a national certified? Yep. What a that's a that's a nightmare, right? To go through all the it's not going to be shit. accredited up front. Okay, it's just going to be something that supplements like your normal CSCS or okay. PES or whatever. Uh-huh. Okay, okay, yeah, very interesting. So tell me, tell me what it was like when you got the phone call or email uh, from Dix and Adidas. What was that like? Yeah, so I had been I had been sponsored by Adidas. Um, basically, th- I, the night that Harden signed with Adidas is uh, when I started to make that connection. Okay. So it's funny because he called me, I was leaving a camp and, and James called me and he's like, hey, I need you right now. It was 11 p.m. He's like, I need you right now in LA. And so I drive into LA um, and we train at this high school and I didn't know why he was training, but like, turns out he wanted to get a session right before he went and signed his $200 million contract with Adidas. And so that was kind of that was kind of cool to see. He let me know what he was doing, and and so then I made that connection with Adidas through him, and they started sponsoring me. So I had been with them for about a year, and then they started kind of introducing me to their partners like East Bay and Dix, and uh, Dix called me up and said that they want to do this activation, 
And I'm like, cool, whatever. You know, I think I'm just going in to like do this clinic at, at a mall. And I walk in and my posters are everywhere on the wall. Oh, shit. Like, <laughs> everywhere. There was like, you know, the windows is my face. And it, it was really cool. Um, that so had it, been a surreal moment. It for was you. a surreal moment. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I was actually standing in the doorway and my pictures were on the side. And these dudes drove up and they were, they were smoking blunts and like, <laughs> like I could smell it. And, uh, they're like, dude, wait, is that you? Like, wait, how did you get from the poster? You're huge. You're there. Yeah. And like, it tripped me out that I was on the poster, but for them to see it, they were like, this is crazy. Um, so yeah, I know it was, it was a really cool experience. And, um, we, we've actually done a lot more since then with dicks. I've done a lot of photo shoots with them and, uh, a lot of photo shoots with uh, East Bay content shoots. So. Now, what does all that entail? Like, what are there certain things? I know you mentioned like you you get, you're always suited up in Adidas now, and like what what can and can't you do? And do they they do they pay you a flat salary? Like, I have no idea how that would work for someone. No, like it's basically per event. Um, okay. If if we wanted to go in the direction of a flat salary, it would be a lot more strict. Where I mean, I I always wear Adidas regardless, um, but it would be a lot more strict. Where I would uh, have to probably work with strictly Adidas athletes, and that would really limit my brand. Oh, I see. And so we, uh, it's more so a loose agreement where I can kind of train anybody, but I'm gonna rock Adidas, strictly Adidas, um, and then they just set up different events, like monthly events, and I get paid per event. And so that gives me the flexibility where if I'm super busy, I could turn down an event. If okay. I was signed full time, uh, You'd be obligated. Yes, yeah, whatever I'm doing. If I'm in Turks and Caicos with Harden, like they, and I got to yeah, go do this Adidas, I got to fly out. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. So I, it's it's good as a trainer to. I mean, we we all dream of having these shoe deals and stuff, but you still want to keep your flexibility uh, because you're going to be super busy as a trainer, and there's all these different opportunities. Right so. now, I, I I love sharing when people people ask us a lot, of like you know the success of Mind Pump and the growth of that, like what are some of the biggest mistakes that we made on the, on the way up. Um, and we share a lot of those things that we, that we made, or we could go back and said, Oh man, I wish we would have started the YouTube channel sooner. or I wish we would have started our email list sooner. When you look at your business, where it's at now and all the success that you had, and you, if you were to be talking to someone who's wanting to follow in your footsteps, what are some of the mistakes that you made that you could probably share with them? Um, probably the biggest mistake is just what I call ISO ball, doing it all by yourself and just not trusting anybody, not learning how to delegate early on. Um, which luckily I'm figuring that out now and I'm surrounding myself with brilliant trainers who I can delegate and I can pass clients off to. I now have trainers under me that even our pro players trust. And so when I travel, they can take care of these NBA players and they have their trust, which is a huge step for me. Um, early on, like I would hire interns, I would hire people, but I wouldn't trust them with anything big. Um, I felt like I was the only one that could do it. Um, but at some point you got to throw people in the fire. You got to throw your employees in the fire and you got to really get them some good experience. And it, you know, now we're at the point where luckily I can just travel wherever I want and things are taken care of. So, you know, play as a team, don't go ISO ball your whole life because that's, <laughs> it's going to really limit your growth. 
as right. a trainer. No, that's, that's, that's really good. It'll advice. kill you too. Now, yeah, I, for sure. Now, I, I've got to get in. We've done all the trainer talk and stuff like that, but we got to fucking talk about the NBA right now. <laughs> okay. So, and I don't want to hear your biased bullshit on yeah, the, the I'm Rockets. Yeah, super biased. Yeah, like, don't, don't, yeah, give sure bullshit, don't, don't give me the bullshit. Don't give me the bullshit Rockets talk right now. Yeah, let's talk about the Warriors. No, yeah. I want to hear. I want to hear right now. What What do you? Uh, so let me back up. So, you know, as a kid, I played basketball. I only played in high school. I was an, I was an average player at best. Uh, but I followed the sport forever. And I kind of it fell out of favor. I, st- I didn't watch it for about uh, right around the Kobe era. I, I watched less and less of basketball. And it's not because of Kobe. I just felt like the NBA in general turned into this ISO ball. Mm-hmm. And it, it just, I grew up in a, I'm older and I like team ball. I think probably because I wasn't very athletic. I appreciate the passing, the screening, all the other <laughs> yeah, the yeah. fundamentals, right? <laughs> yeah. So I fell out of I fell out of love with the game a little bit. Um, but in the last ten years, and especially with teams like the Spurs and the Warriors, I feel like the game is is coming back to that. Like, what's your opinion of that, and what do you see? Yeah, I mean, it is like. The, the game has changed so much just in the last like three years of right. uh, everything. You have to be a shooter now, even like seven footers have to be able to shoot and the game is just rapidly changing. But you know, it's, it's interesting because the league is in a state where you could be a successful team that operates more off isolation. Like you look at the Rockets last year, they worked together. Uh, but for the most part, it was James isolation. And then Chris would come in and ISO and they just kind of take turns. Uh, but they drive and kick so well that they can ISO, get in the lane, and then set up teammates. Right. And so you play as a team, but it, it's initiated off of ISO ball. Right. Um, but then you do, you have teams like the Warriors who it's, you know, very, they can all ISO if they want to, because they're all like the best in the world, yeah. which is just unfair. I, I don't watch, <laughs> I don't even watch them anymore. Um, don't hate, bro. That's what everybody <laughs> says now. Yeah. But they, they play as a team. They move the ball so well. They're all so unselfish. It's so, so much fun to watch. And yeah. then the Spurs, I mean, they're, they're incredible as well at playing team ball. So it, it is kind of interesting where there's not just one way to succeed as a team. Now you can initiate yeah. off ISO or you can just run a good offense. I, I feel it's totally different right now, man. I, I really do. I've, it's been one of the, my favorite eras of watching basketball over the last 30 years of my life, watching mm-hmm. the game. Do you uh, have any favorite rookies this year? Like, do, do you have any predictions on who's the ones be... that I train? <laughs> I don't like anybody else. Um, <laughs> No, Mo Bamba, I worked with him and he's, so he's got the longest wingspan in the history of the NBA. Um, Just, yeah, freak athlete. He can move at 7-1. He's going to be really good. He's raw right now, uh, but he's playing in Orlando. He's going to be really good, I think. Um, I love Trey Young. Trey Young is incredible. Six foot, not a genetic freak, but he's like the next Steph. Yeah. He shoots like that. I mean, he's got handles. He's got the full package. Um... I like DeAndre Ayton from Phoenix. He's just a grown man, 7'1", strong, um, can step out and shoot a little bit. Um, and then the uh, overseas dude, Luca, uh, Luca, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I won't even try. Donkic or something like yeah. that. Uh, for Dallas, he's incredible. Yeah. Court vision. He's kind of like the modern guard because he's like 6'7", 6'8" and he can pass so well. So when you're 6'8", and you're coming off a pick and roll, you can see over people. So you can Mm -hmm. make these overhead skip passes, and it's so much more valuable to be a big guard in the NBA now. Yeah. Um, 
So he's kind of like that that next modern uh, modern point guard. Who do you think's the greatest passer in the game right now? Uh, well, James Harden. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always say James Harden. He is. He's top two, no, top three for sure. He's incredible. Right. The the things that he sees are are just incredible. But LeBron um, is great. Like I talked about, he's so big he can see over people. Um, Rondo is still a great passer. Uh, Ricky Rubio is a great passer. Yeah. But the 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 players that can score become the great passers. So like if I'm playing defense and LeBron's coming off a screen, I'm backing up because every now and then he's going to miss shots. Right. If Harden comes off a screen, I can't back up. He's pulling it. So, you know, you got to get on him and then it opens up so many passing lanes. And yeah. so now he has lobs to Capella. He's got kicks out to the three. So that's why like guys that can score, like that's why Steve Nash was such a good passer. Mm. It's because he could really score. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he's a threat on, he's a threat. on multiple yeah, You have ends. to be a threat. Who, yeah. do you, who do you think's the most underrated NBA team right now? Mm, I like Denver. Oh, I like Denver a lot, and I like mm. Utah a lot. Yeah, I like. Utah. I actually I love Utah. Utah. No, yeah. Utah's the business. Yeah, dude. I put out like a a preseason ranking, uh, which I always do. It's just a bias ranking of like whoever I work with. But uh, I I put Utah at like the three seed in the West, and everybody gave me shit for it. But I think <laughs> it could come true. No, they're the, really good. They're really, really good. You know, yeah. some of my favorite videos you do when there's a game on and there's a highlight and there's like a very specific move somebody does and you sort of show everybody exactly what you did, break down the skill of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's that's great. Can you ever see yourself maybe doing that on a segment or something on ESPN or something like that? For sure. That'd be yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, I think that'd be rad. Yeah. Was that part of your formula to grow? What are some of the things? That's a good question In those along those lines, Justin, is what are some of the things that you think you did on your Instagram that really made it explode? Mm-hmm. Like Because I've, I've been watching you back when it was really small and you were, you're just doing you know, dribble handling techniques and stuff. Like mm-hmm. what were some of the pivotal things that, oh shit, when I post that, that shit goes. Um, the, the posts that go the most viral for me are things that are visually appealing. So like you know, really cool, like dunking stuff where I also give a good valuable tip. So I tried to separate the two where I would give this good valuable tip of me doing an exercise and people would like it, but it doesn't have the visual appeal to the 13 year old kid who's kind of interested, but they're not all in on doing this exercise. Uh, but it's, but if I do a, uh, video of Zion Williamson doing a windmill dunk. And then I describe, you know, this is the exercise that can work on this trait. Uh, It's the best of both worlds because you get the average basketball fan interested. So they're going to click like, and they're going to comment, but you also get the high level basketball player who wants to do that exercise to engage. Mm -hmm. And so it's the best of both worlds. So like, I just, I've been posting, actually, I've, I've been posting some stuff that's been going super viral recently where I'm showing a dunk. I'm showing, I'm giving a tip, like a mechanics tip. And then I'm showing like an animal comparison. Oh, I saw oh, your, like oh, your tiger. Yeah. yeah so like a tiger jumping and I'm relating it to how elite mm. jumpers are jumping and people go on and they'll talk shit and say, you can't compare the two because they have different <laughs> structures, but there are similarities and it's cool for humans like to have a reference point in the mm-hmm. brain. So anytime they think of this mechanic tip, they're going to think, Oh, like how tigers jump. Right. Right. You know? So it's, those have been going super viral, like millions of impressions for those videos. We've been looking at animals mm-hmm. for thousands of years. Your Chinese Kung Fu is based on how animals move and yeah. you know how to start. Do you learn stuff from watching and you actually use that sometimes too? Sometimes. I mean, I wouldn't base, uh, I, I wouldn't come to a conclusion just based on how an animal sure. moves because we you are mentioned so the cat different. earlier. Yeah. Um, but like if I notice a trait in elite jumpers, 
then I can go and I can see that this isn't just specific to humans. This is just a biomechanical truth. I can see, oh, lions do this too. Mm. Oh, like, uh, you know, so sometimes it's cool to, to go that way. And then you can, you can learn a lot from, uh, animals. I've been on a big squid binge lately. I've been like squid, <laughs> squids. I've been studying squids. <laughs> yeah. I love squids. Um, those are aliens. There's, I call them calamari. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just went on this binge because they're super intelligent. And so now I tell our athletes, you got to be a squid. So squids are like super self-aware. Like they did this study where they put this squid in a box and they put like this tiny little hole and it would crawl up in this little ball and then get through the hole. And then they made the hole like a half an inch smaller. And the squid is so self-aware that it knew it couldn't fit in. It didn't even try. Wow. It was like, I would rather just die here than not uh, than go through that hole because it knows how big it is. And so like at the NBA level, it's not just about the talent. It's about being self-aware of who you are and not going outside of your abilities. So we all try to train these like dreamers and just like go be the best player. But yeah. sometimes it's like you're a three and D guy. That's your role. Become really good. Go all in at that. Uh-huh. And so my reference is be a squid. Yeah. Be yeah. self-aware. Know what you're good at. I was and don't a D2 go football player. That's where I ended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew yeah. that. That. You ever yeah. watch the octopus videos where they're in a jar and then they unscrew the lid from the inside and get themselves out? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're super smart. Yeah, that's pretty. It's pretty <laughs> so I, I'm on like a squid binge lately. <laughs> that's hilarious. I'm about to look what's, into squid. What's, yeah. the, what's some of the, what, what are some of the pet peeves you have right now with, with modern training? Like what are some things that you see that you just want to rip your eyes out? Uh, a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we got time. Like yeah. biggest mistakes, I guess, that you see. With just general training yeah. or vertical jump. All of or, it, Whatever. Um, hmm. I think in athletics, it's an obsession with how your body looks. Mm. We should be training for performance and the physique comes as a byproduct of that. That's a good point. And, you know, so many people are training for physique and they're doing like isolation curls and they look better. And then they post these transformation pictures on Instagram and it goes viral. Everybody's like, this guy's such a hard worker. And then they go in the next season and they suck because they didn't <laughs> actually improve their performance. They just improved. They hired a bodybuilder coach and yeah, uh, it went all to hell. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, that's, I think that's one big thing. Um, one thing that bothers me in basketball specifically is guys making fast transformations, especially when it comes to muscle building. So mm-hmm. like pre-draft guys come in and they're like, I got to put on 25 pounds and we're over here putting on five pounds. Like I want you to put on five. If you're undersized, I want you to put on five pounds this year, five pounds next year. And so guys come in and they just transform their bodies. They put a ton of muscle mass on. And then I just wait for the injury to happen because it's coming because, uh, muscles grow at a certain rate tendons don't grow at that same rate. And so tendons are, are, uh, you get, you gotta be more patient with it to catch up. Mm-hmm. The last thing you want to do is, is get heavier, bigger muscles without increasing that tendon strength. It's like, uh, holding a big, heavy bowling ball on a thin string. If you keep getting that bowling ball heavier and heavier and bigger, that string is going to break. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you make gradual transformations of five pounds this year, five pounds next year, your whole body makes a transformation along with you. It's not just the muscles. So the fascia is getting stronger. The tendons are getting stronger. And then you're, you know, you have the structural support for that added muscle. And so that's the huge mistake that people make is they, they go through pre-draft process and they gain all this weight and they're all proud of it. And then they go into training camp and they mm-hmm. fracture their foot or they have some sort of tendon injury. It's also body awareness. Like, you know, we, we've had this question many times on our show where people ask us, 
uh, you know, is there such a, is there truth to old man strength? You know, like, like when old guys are really strong and it is true. And the reason why they're strong is they've been in their bodies longer than you. They right. know their bodies very well. Yeah. I experienced this when, you know, I used to train in, in jujitsu a lot. And if I gained weight, my technique was off. And it wasn't because I was muscle bound or anything like that. It's just I knew how to move well at a particular weight. And once I gained weight, it was a it was a new body. So you put yep. 20 pounds on an athlete who's high level, timing's gonna be different. How he moves it, you know, bracing his body when he changes direction is gonna be different. Exactly. That also plays a massive role in in I think in the injuries and the loss of performance. Hundred percent. Yeah. So yep. now I wanna I wanna peer into your your coaching a little more because we probably a, a good majority of our listeners are other professionals and trainers and coaches and I think the the webinar direction that you're going is is really fascinating and I think it'll appeal to a lot of people that are listening to this show. Can you kind of like give us a little insight on like what does that look like if I'm if I hired you and I want to become a performance coach? What are like kind of the first things that you guys are teaching them? Like in the webinar series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we actually start. Um, on the business side okay. because I don't want to teach you the specifics and get you really good at training. And then five years later, you realize you don't know how to run a business and then it all comes crashing down. You know, you got to have that, that structural support. You got to be able to understand finances. You got to understand how to grow a business. I don't need you to be an expert. I need you to know enough right? because so I know so many good coaches oh, that yeah. just can't. That's actually more common than not. Yeah. It's yes. more, we're this, very passionate this about is, that. Right. This is what, this is why we did mind pump media was, all the the smartest people that we ever met in the space, nobody knew who the fuck they were because yeah. they weren't the best business people. They yeah. they got so good at their craft and not good mm -hmm. communicators. Yeah, the they weren't great at actually right. getting themselves out there. So that's pretty. That's right. awesome. Incredible. Well, and it it actually makes you worse at your craft because what happens? Like I was never interested in business. I'm strictly interested in training. But once I realized if I want to make this, if I want to get really good at this and become the best, I got to do it full time. I can't go have multiple jobs. I got to be able to support myself. So I got to get pretty smart with the business side so that I can do that. And the problem is the people who don't do that, they barely scratch by and they're stuck in their running their business and they might have to go get a different part-time job. And now they can't study for four hours a day. They can study for 20 minutes a day. And so it actually ends up limiting your craft. It's not just like you being passionate about the business. It's if you want to take your craft to the top level, you have to have a structural support and you got to really understand finances. Um, so that's what we start with is first webinar is just how to get into the industry, how to be smart with finances, um, how to build a gym uh, because people go about that backwards. Um, Explain that. So when somebody wants to open a gym, they say, okay, how much does it cost? And then they go borrow that amount. Or they're insecure and they say, okay, all of our friends, yeah, let's go. Like five of my best friends, let's go into this together. <laughs> and then- So common. <laughs> right? That's yeah. what everybody does. Everybody does that. Because they're just insecure. Like yeah. it's it's really scary to go start a business on Hell your yeah. own. It's lonely. Uh -huh. Entrepreneurship sometimes is kind of a lonely journey. Um, but that's, in my opinion, the way to go about it. Um, so then you got these five friends and you got this huge loan to pay off and then you get in and- you're going to struggle for five to 10 years. Right. And at some point, all of your friends got to get paid. And so everything starts dropping out and relationships are ruined. This is just the, the experiences that, that I've had of, of people that I've mentored, their gym goes under right away because they start in debt and they start by like owing everybody a certain amount of money and you're just not going to generate that much. So higher based on demand, like 
okay, I can pay myself this salary. I'm paying my gym rent. Uh, now I can bring on this trainer. And then he's paid for, he's eating. Okay, we can bring on another guy. And so just hire based on demand and start lean. Lean out the company as much as you can and then build from there. Um, so everybody goes backwards on that. Um, but also just build organically. Like you don't have to start with a huge fancy gym. Like I started renting space out of this little garage and somebody else actually owned it. And I just went in and I paid a percentage of my profit and that way it's low overhead. So if I failed, I'm not out a bunch of money. Um, if I succeed, I end up paying a little bit more, but that's a good problem to have. And then once your clients are at a certain base. And so that's actually the second step. First step is no overhead and then low overhead. So go train at parks, make sure that you have the ability to get clients, to get people results. If it looks like it's going to be a legit thing, then go in and do low overhead of like, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month, or like I did 20 or 30% of your income and then build your client base that way. And then you go, okay, I could afford a gym. That's a couple thousand dollars a month. And then you go in small and you just gradually build. And everybody does that backwards because on Instagram, they see the big fancy gym. They're like, I want that. And so they go into just massive amounts of debt and they're just never able to get out of that. Or they get investors and then they owe these investors for the rest of their life. Like if you can do it organic, do it. Do it by yourself. Like I've never taken a loan. I funded everything out of my pocket. And again, I didn't start with money. Like I started like everybody else, 40,000 in debt. Uh, But everything that I did, I just saved a small percentage, five to 10%. And I put it away for future gym and future equipment. I want to, I want to hear a couple highlight stories of this career. I can imagine one of them would probably be since you have helped James Harden. I'm sure when he got MVP, that had to have been the a fucking you had to feel like you won the MVP at the same time. What are some other like just epic moments that you've had now that you've you've reached this level and you're dealing with this level of athletes? Yeah, so I mean that's that's a huge one. Um at the same time like we're such a small part of the overall process. They're the ones doing the work. Like we we can't take credit. If he's the MVP, I can't take credit for that at all. But it it is still cool to know that I had a very small part uh, to to do with that. So you know, stuff like that, that's a victory. Um, when you get somebody who is like a, a high school athlete who probably has no business being a Division One athlete and they end up getting a scholarship, oh, that's huge. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's life-changing that's, for It's a life-changer, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, some I've had guys that are borderline NBA, you know, in pre-draft. They're, they're not on any mock draft. They shouldn't get drafted. They go in, they kill the combine, they start dominating their team workouts, and all of a sudden they get drafted. That's somebody that could have gone broke the rest of their life and now they're multimillionaires. Mm. So, you know, stuff like that. Um, those are kind of the the more emotional, like satisfaction type of situations for me. Uh, more of like the fame type of realizations are like uh, when I was training Khloe Kardashian for a while. Oh, no shit. You're yeah, kidding me. She was dating James Harden. And so I went on vacation with him and she needed a trainer. So we were in China and I trained her. And then she went to Houston and she brought me out there for a couple of weeks. Really? And so- Is she I, cool? Because I don't know anything about them except that they annoy the fuck out of me on the <laughs> magazines and shit. So yeah. I almost feel like it would be a nightmare, but you obviously did. It was probably- she, she was super cool. Really? She was oh, so right. down to earth. Yeah. yeah. So down to earth. Um, so that's one of those moments where you wake up like, wow, how did I get yeah. here? Um, I was I was on a private jet with her and I was like, this is insane. <laughs> and I was only like 23. 
five probably. Damn. Oh my god, that, that is crazy. Was, yeah, it must have been wild. Yeah. So <laughs> stuff like that. Um, there's just certain moments like where you're at dinner and it's like uh, James and Russell Westbrook and like you're sitting at dinner with people that you just idolize. Yeah, and yeah. it's like wow, like how did I end up here? So there, there's certain moments like that that are pretty cool. That's you ever right. get to play one on one against some of these players? Yeah, I do all the time. Oh uh, shit, what's that like? So, <laughs> yeah, shit humbling as fuck, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, I don't play James. He's a whole nother level. He's so good at basketball, I wouldn't even try. Uh, but his, other guys, I'll play. His um, footwork is insane, dude. He's nuts. I mean, he's so strong. He's so big. At, to be a point guard with that level of handle, that level of shiftiness. And he's just so big. He he has like a frame almost of like Carl Malone, like a step down from Carl. Wow, does he is he that, is he that big that, in person? Big, huh? Huge, it, isn't it amazing? Wide shoulders, big hips. They're at, yeah, there's TV so distorts all they, that. Yeah, yeah, basketball players are. I tell people this all the time. I lo- I go to games all the time, and I'm like, you know, I, I've been to all kinds of professional sports, but I think the most jaw dropping is basketball. They're because, just a bunch of giants. Well, yeah. when you see like a, a point guard on TV, they look small because you're comparing them to the center. So in your your mind goes, oh, he's probably five five or six but there's like six six when you get there and yeah realize they're massive no they're huge um so I, he, he i've never played him he would dominate me i wouldn't even want to try um but some of the other guys i hang with them uh oh, that must be good for your ego. yeah the, there's there's been we go by summers now so it's like this summer i won x amount of games and we just talk <laughs> shit to each other like i'll send them texts like remember i, I beat you 60 percent of the time last summer. <laughs> so there's been, film. there's been a few NBA point guards where I've been able to like win 50% of the games. Wow. Um, I'm pretty good one-on-one. They put it together better in a live game. They have a mental component that I don't have. Mm. And that, that mostly comes from growing up playing against high level competition day in and day out. You're playing other high level players. I grew up in Flagstaff where I'm the top dog in, in all of Northern Arizona. So I don't see other competition like that. Yeah. And so there's certain levels of like a mentality and certain like perceptual things that you can't, develop when you're not playing against high level players so if we isolated the skills ball handling shooting passing i'm right there with all the nba point guards oh that's cool but they put it together better than i do in games because they have better experiences early on in childhood i think now Mm. when you when you watch the game danny and i last night we were watching the game and uh that's probably the first time him and i have ever sat down and and watched the game together and he can probably hear me making all these weird noises i get into the game so much there's uh what is it when you're watching that that you just love? Like what like a what kind of play or what kind of ball handling or what is it that you go, fuck, I just appreciate that so much? I love athleticism, of course. So all the details, like stability, things that people don't see. Like, yeah, that's what I mean. I know you have a different eye. I have a different eye too. When yeah. I watch it, you're looking at different things. Like when I'm watching James, like his stability is so incredible. His ability to like spin, step back off one leg, get balance and go straight up and down. People see that as something is easy, but you go out and try it. You're flopping all over the place. Like his dynamic stability is incredible. His balance is incredible. Deceleration ability. I love a good decelerator. If you could stop fast, mm-hmm. that's like the number one trait that I would take. Oh, so yeah. everybody's obsessed with acceleration, but if you can get going and just stop on a dime, you create so much space. Mm-hmm. It just opens up your game. So stuff like that, I'm obsessed with. I geek out over that kind of stuff. Um, but I do it like skill wise. I love a good ball handler. Uh, I love somebody that can finish. Like if you can, if you're like Kyrie and you can go up and come down and spin it with the wrong hand and that type of stuff is incredible to me. 
I love watching Mitchell, dude. Seeing that young kid, yeah. like his his he's, footwork and and handling, so good, yeah, man. he's so good. Man. He's explosive. He's skilled. He has a little bit of everything. Yeah, man, and I mean, he's a dog. Yeah, he, he's a beast. You can see it, him, bro. He's yeah. young, man. I'm yeah. I'm excited to see. He's us. like a future. He reminds me of a young Dwayne Wade. Yeah. He's a lot mm-hmm. like Dwayne Wade when when he was his first couple of years in the league. What What do you think about D Rose dropping that fifty the other night? Like they coming back? How cool that was, was that? Nuts! Like I wanted to cry watching that right? game because <laughs> I just know how much he struggled. Right. Like everybody wrote him off. You know, after after his injuries, nobody thinks about him anymore. It's just like he's like we think about him as like a good backup point guard. Mm-hmm. And then he goes out and you see the flashes of the old D Rose and he's scoring forty. The other night he scored like thirty or thirty two. He had like five threes, I think. Um, it's so cool to see. Just yeah. knowing the battle that he's fought through to get back, it's incredible. Now, I know we have a, a, a lot of listeners who are just your typical gym rats. They like to work out, like to play pickup basketball on the weekend. What are like the top three things that they can do, just the average person that they can do Good question. to improve their, their vertical? So... It depends on your age. So when I, I get a lot of people like 30 to 45 who are like, I'm just going to play in a men's league. I just want to get back. You know, in high school, I could I was pretty athletic, but I'm just not anymore. The The approach is very different. It's more of a restorative approach of let's get your fascial health back. Uh, like sometimes uh, you, over time, you've lost so much fascial elasticity and the fascia's dried out and the muscles have lost elasticity. That's so it's like- my Achilles. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes it's not like, let's go harder. It's, can we get that back by introducing some low level bouncy movements? Get out, go for a 10 minute jog where you're just bouncing on the balls of your feet. Mm. That's a very simple way to just get some basic elasticity back in the Achilles and restore what you once had. Cause we're all athletes. It's just, we lose some of those traits over time. Mm. And so stuff like that, um, you know, general movement, mobility, foam rolling, if you can get in with a massage therapist, a lot of those kind of things can really restore that elasticity. And I think that's the number one thing that you lose as you age. Okay. And so sometimes it's just restorative of just take care of your body better and try to get that back. Um, but other than that, I mean, if you want to jump higher, the fastest way to do it is to learn how to jump, to study mechanics. Uh, every single person that is listening to this probably runs, if they're going to try to go dunk, they run up to the rim and they jump with a square stance with their chest facing the rim. If we simply got them to turn, so instead you're planting right, left, you're turning your chest to the right side of the rim and you're jumping from a turn stance, all of a sudden now you use that momentum and you turn it into vertical velocity mm. and you could put on five inches. Wow. Mm. So it's it's very simple stuff. Just spiraling into that, creating yeah, kind more of, torque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of That's kind like of that, you did a post like that where their hand placement is in the turn, right? Everything. Yep. Yeah, I thought yep. I just saw you do wow. a post on that. Yeah, so all that stuff, like just figuring out timing and it is, it's hard to learn because it becomes conscious, but that's the fastest way is just to to learn how to, to optimize your mechanics. Uh, so simple tips like that, learning how to utilize the arm swing, um, how to get the counter movement arm swing higher. You should, at the back of the arm swing, pinky should be about even with the earlobe. Most people don't even swing their arms back and the arms could be up to like 20% of your approach jump. Oh, wow. And so when you actually get arm swing timing down, you become a way better jumper. So those are the easy ways to do it. Um, as far as like the general guy who's already probably lifting, chances are good. They, they're probably they probably have enough strength uh, 
if they've been lifting for a while, um, I would challenge them to start moving weight faster. Yeah. And even if they don't have like a, a velocity tracker, like we use, I think it's called squats and science, but it's a, it's a velocity tracker where we can know how many meters per mm-hmm. second you're moving the bar. That's a couple hundred bucks. But like, if you don't want to get one of those, simply time your reps, like have somebody sit there with a stopwatch and let you know how long it took you from the bottom to the top. Mm. Is it going to be inaccurate? Yes. But you're going to get max intent and you're going to start to get that sure. idea of stand up faster. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's funny you said that about the arms too. You know, in the old, uh, in, in the Olympics, way back when they would do the long jump, they used to hold weights in their hands and yes. use their arms to, and yes. it was legal to swing Thrust their body. Yep. And so, I mean, you don't have weights in your hands when you're running, but yeah. your hands definitely in your arms mm-hmm. definitely will give you some of that momentum. Yep. You were talking about, you know, moving faster. Let's say hypothetically, and this again, this is just for the audience because I, I, I know what's going to happen when this airs. I'm going to get a shit ton of DMs of people asking this exact question. Mm-hmm. Let's say my max squat is 200 pounds. That's my max. I can do one rep with that. What weight would I? What weight should I go to hypothetically, and then try to work on speed? Yeah, so it's it's really tough to answer. So there's like different categories. There's like absolute strength, accelerative strength, speed strength, strength speed, and so like there's all these different categories that you do want to hit. Um, typically I would say like 50 to 70%. So is a hundred pounds, 130 pounds. Like yeah. That. Okay. Yeah. And just move it as fast as you can. So like, if you do have the velocity tracker 0.8 meters per second is like optimal power. Okay. That's where we're getting our highest power. Um, so you want them to descend controlled and then yeah, come not up necessarily fast. slow. Okay. Descend controlled. Just yeah, controlled you, descent. Just yeah. Okay. But I'm not doing like a slow eccentric Got or it. anything. Like I don't want to get tired and really train the muscles okay. on that eccentric. Um, I mean, that's a different way to do it. But yeah, go down, go down controlled. We're not thinking about dropping as fast as we can. Uh, but once you reach that bottom, it's about transitioning out as fast as you can and getting up as fast as you can. Got so it. you know you went too light if your feet can leave the ground. Mm. So sometimes we'll say, okay, like let's go 50% of your max. And then they go as fast as they can and they actually jump a few inches off the ground. Go heavier. That was too light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So go heavier, go, you know, pick a weight where you feel like you can explode up with max intent and your feet don't leave the floor. Mm. And and, and uh, one you know disclaimer for people, and we always say this on the show: explosive training for the average person just trying to get fit, probably something you want to stay away from. It's just high risk. Yeah. But if you want to be able to explode faster, yeah, then this is I something mean, there's, you got to yeah, do. Yeah, there's always levels. You got to be able to control your body weight. Your 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 mechanics have to be perfect yeah. on every exercise before you add load and you add. Thank speed. you for saying that. Yeah. I, that's that's my pet peeve. I go to the gym and I see all these people doing explosive movements. They're like, ah, no. you yeah. can't even do a body weight Nothing squat. Nothing focused on decelerating. Yeah. Either. Yeah. 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 No, there's there's so many levels to it, but. Um, that would be the thing. I think max intent, actually a better general piece of advice is whatever you're doing, go max intent. So Mm. even if you are going heavy, even if you're at 80, 90% of your one rep max, you're still trying to get up as fast as you can. And the studies back that whether you're going light or whether you're going heavy, you know, the rep might not move fast, but you're trying, you're trying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're getting max intent, we're probably going to get the adaptation that we want. Mm -hmm. It's all about intrinsically producing that force, right? Like summoning it. Yep. It's anytime you're max intent, you're activating those big high threshold motor units. And the, and the other thing too is like people will do this and they think, oh, I'm going to do like a, a million reps until I get tired. No, no, no. As soon as you start losing that, yeah. that ability, stop your set, right? Yep. Okay. I mean, we rarely would go over six reps on that. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, how does this advice change if we're talking to a young teenage boy or girl that are getting into a talking 15 to 19 range? Well, build some general strength. Uh, you don't necessarily need to go fast. Let's control everything. You know, mm-hmm. let's, I do start people on some slow eccentrics um, just because it's good for teaching body awareness and positioning and teaching them to really own positions. So we'll actually start with more isometrics, especially for the young kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll do like some long duration split stance holds. Uh, we'll go rear foot elevated split squat and just hold at the bottom. And I'll just start them at 30 seconds and then 35 seconds the next session, 40 seconds we'll go all. I mean, there's some stuff, uh, I forget the the trainer, I think Jay Schroeder, something, something like that. He goes all the way up to five minutes. We've never gone that long duration, but it's super valuable when you can get them to own those positions isometrically. And then, so if you can go through like a block of like two weeks of isometric stuff, even just basic hip bridges, single leg hip bridges, hyperextension holds, um, rear foot elevated split squat holds. Then you progress to more of the dynamic stuff where you're still not super explosive. You're controlling on the way down two to three seconds, maybe one second on the way up, building technique. Um, and then you would get into more of the control down, explode up mm. later on, as long as you mastered the mechanics. Yeah. You build that communication pathway first. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Incredible advice. So f- looking ahead, what are your goals for the future for your business? Like what are your dreams moving ahead? Yeah, you already, uh, you already turned down your first dream. <laughs> yeah. <that's, laughs> well, has it changed? What that's is it now? That's the thing. I mean, that's, that's a good point is like, sometimes it's, it's more about just building good habits and seeing where it goes. You know, I like, I feel like I've nailed what I want to do. Now I just got to scale what I want to do bigger Mm. and bigger and bigger. And so like I started without specific goals and that's kind of how I'm still living. Like if you, uh, if you're trying to lose 15 pounds, once you lose 15 pounds, great, I'm happy. Now what, you know, now I just gain it back. But if I just teach you how to develop the habits to lose 15 pounds without setting that exact goal, I mean, to me, that could lead to bigger results long-term. And so for me, I don't know, I'm, I'm a big believer in goal setting for some people, for our athletes. For me, I'm better just freestyling and just going balls to the wall every day and just seeing where it ends up. Mm. Because like, I could have never imagined me being here today, you know? Like if I was... 19 years old thinking about how can I create uh, this field or how can I blow up in this field? I would have said, man, it'd be great to, you know, train youth athletes and maybe someday train a professional player. That'd be huge. Right. And like I surpassed that. And so, you know, you, you really never know where you can end up and the field adapts mm-hmm. too. So like this field is growing bigger and bigger and bigger. We have no idea how big trainers are going to be in 10 years there's a good chance that the normal trainer is going to have a million followers on social media, Sure, you know, right. like it's going to keep getting bigger and bigger. This is just the very beginning of mm-hmm. it. I, so I agree with that. When yeah. you don't know where the field is going, you almost limit yourself by setting an exact goal. Mm, so I just want to grind and see where I, where do you, where do you think mm. that work ethic comes from? What's your, what's your childhood like? Where did, where did you get that from? I think I mostly got it from basketball. Yeah. Um, just being so obsessed with sports and just realizing if I want to get better at a skill, I got to rep that skill. And, you know, if I want to be better than him, I got to rep it more than him. And if I want to be more confident than him, I got to know that I'm preparing a little bit different than him. Yeah. And so I think a lot of, a lot of the traits that I've developed come um, through that. And then also I was raised by uh, a single mother um, who has three kids and she's a nurse. And so she was just grinding and like got me to every big basketball camp that she couldn't even afford. And 
she's kind of just a grinder, just figure it out and, and get shit done. And that's where I got a lot of the traits that, that I have today, I think. Well, how's that been for her to see where you've come now? It's got to She's up. so excited about it. Yeah. Super excited. So have you been able to take her to any games or do anything like that? I mean, not really. Um, she's going to be, she's going to actually meet a lot of our clients for the first time at my wedding in August. So oh, she's all excited all right. for that. She watches all of our clients games. She knows their stats and everything. And so she's going to be able to meet a lot of them. And that's going to be pretty cool for her, I think. Uh, that's yeah, very cool. Good, yeah. good for you. Yeah. yeah, you have the unique combination of the the knowledge, uh, understanding the science and how to apply it with the intuitive ability that typically comes from being a very, very, very experienced trainer and the ability to communicate it. You rarely see that combination. Usually it's one without the other. So I think yeah, that- I appreciate that. Yeah, that, that probably speaks to why, I mean, I've worked with trainers for 20 years mm -hmm. and I can see the intuitive ones and the ones that can communicate well. And they're the ones that typically succeed. Mm -hmm. And then you see the smart ones and they don't typically have that. And you combine the two and then you get someone like yourself. Right. So I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's been awesome. awesome. It's been you guys great. are doing great work. It's an honor to be on. Excellent, thank you. Right, yeah. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump. <laughs>